Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. That's one of those gospels at the end of which you're just like, I don't know if we're supposed to say praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. That's intense. So today's feast day, John Fisher and Thomas More were celebrating two men who very clearly found their lives by losing them, very clearly. And I was so struck, I mean, the gospel that we have, the, uh, I was, in the first reading, I was very struck by the first reading, especially listening to Peter, right, our first pope, his, his speaking of suffering as if, um, I mean, he's speaking about suffering in such a casual way in such a casual way, as if to say, like, when he says, do not be surprised. Don't be surprised that a trial by fire is occurring among you, as if something strange were happening to you. Like, this is like Peter, our older brother in the face, saying, hey, when the hard stuff shows up, don't be surprised. This is just part of it. This is just part of it. To be a member of Christ's church, to be part of his body, is to expect suffering. It's gonna come. It's gonna come. It's not an aberration. It's not. Oh man, I'm particularly terrible and sinful. So the Father has to really chastise me. No. It's. Are you a Christian? Yeah. You follow that guy? Yeah. Okay. Well, then, end of story. Right. No further questions. The body. We, the body, are gonna go the way of the head. Right. Christ is the head of the body. We will undergo a passion like he did. It's one of the most chilling uh, sections of the catechism where it talks about that in this final age of the church, the body will go the way of the head all the way into death, all the way into what seems like utter destruction. That's our lot as followers of Christ, as members of his body, right? The body of Christ was suffering tremendously at the time of Peter's writing this letter. I mean, you had massive persecution happening. You had immense suffering. You had immense torture and martyrdom. And, and will that kind of suffering come to us as Christians, as the body of Christ today? Perhaps. Uh, perhaps it's coming. I mean, it, it's already here in different parts of the world, right? There are our brothers and sisters who are suffering in immense ways. People who today will be crucified crucified today for being members of Christ's body. But for us Catholics here in the United States, right now the suffering that it seems that's our lot is the, it's the suffering that you face when, when your faith puts you at odds with other people, with the culture, with employees, with employers, with family and friends and kids and grandkids and neighbors and it's social and relational suffering, status suffering, identity suffering. That's what we're kind of suffering in our uh, part of the vineyard. You've heard me share this vision before, but, but we are living in an apostolic age of the church, not the Christendom age of the church, right? The apostolic age being distinguished from the Christendom age. The Christendom age was when the gospel and the faith had formed and informed every aspect of social and cultural life, right? When the vision of Christ, the kingdom, had touched everything from the theater to politics to the arts to, to everything, right? The whole gospel vision was in the bloodstream. And 
That is just not the world we live in. We are in a different age, an apostolic age, a, an age uh, that's been described as an age of progressive utopianism, right? It goes by other names, leftism, socialism, right? It's the longing for the kingdom without the king. It's a longing for the things that the gospel brings about without the gospel, it's a longing for this, this fantasy of trying to establish heaven on earth without the Lord. And, you know, when you do that, you just get the gulag in the gas chambers. We're living in an age that's not a clash of ideas, per se. It's a clash of religions. It's, it's we're living in a new war of religions. The new religion of uh, it goes by a lot of names too, right? New religion of wokeism, this new religion of progressive utopianism, socialism. It's got its priests and prelates. It's got social justice warriors, tolerance preachers. It's got its own dogmas and sacraments, the sacrament of abortion, the dogma of diversity, equity, inclusion, all of that. And we, as Christians, we represent heretics. We are heretics in this modern age this modern vision of reality where men can be women and women can be men and moms can be dads and dads can be moms and they're interchangeable and irrelevant. You don't really need a family, all these things where only certain people's voices can and should be heard, right? Where tolerance is the supreme value unless it means tolerating Judeo-Christian views, right? All right, so why do I bring all this up? Because I want to depress you on a Wednesday morning. I'm just kidding. I bring this up because today we celebrate Thomas More and John Fisher. Thomas More and John Fisher, these incredible martyr saints who refused to get absorbed into Henry VIII's new religion, where he made himself head of the Church of England, where he made himself the measure of all things, where he wanted to define reality, right? The Bishop John Fisher and the Chancellor of the realm, Thomas More, they refused to just simply speak a lie. That was it. Just say he's, he can marry Catherine of Aragon. Just say that he's, his annulment is kosher. It's good to go. Just say that he can do it. And they refused. They refused. Just like the early church martyrs of Peter's age and that early age of the church refused to, it was just put a few grains of incense on the altar of Zeus. Not asking you to worship Zeus, just, just put some incense on there. And they refused, right? They suffered immensely for it. They suffered tremendously because their faith, the implications of their faith, their allegiance to Christ, it had public ramifications. Right? That's one of the greatest evils that's, that's come against the church in our, in our day and age, that freedom of religion has been turned into freedom of worship. Like, you can do whatever you want in your little houses of worship, Christians. But once you leave your houses of worship, you better leave that stuff behind. It's just not the vision. It's not the gospel vision. It has public ramifications. Jesus says, go into the whole world. Into that world. Go into the whole world. The world that just crucified me and make disciples of all nations. Right? Our faith is not a private hobby. It's not like, well, we get together and we like to knit and we get together and we like to do Christianity. 
That's not what it is. You know, St. Peter, he's, he's just, he suggests in this letter, he's saying, if your faith causes no waves around you, if you're, li- if you're living of the gospel and witnessing to Jesus Christ, if it's ruffling no feathers of anybody around you, then you might not actually be living the gospel. You might be putting that bushel basket over the light. If you feel no opposition anywhere in your life to, how, to, to your faith, then you might not be doing it to the extent that Jesus is calling you to. Right? Not that we're supposed to go and try to bother people. Like, that's not the goal. It's just the fact that our outward living of the gospel will draw out the demons. It will draw out opposition. There should be, our faith should be so out there and radiant and consistent that it will just inevitably bother people. I think so often we hide our cowardice. We hide behind cowardice, calling it prudence. Right? It's probably prudent that I don't say anything. It's probably prudent that I don't bring this up. It's probably prudent that I don't share what I actually think right now. I mean, Thomas More and John Fisher, it's, it's probably prudent that I just say that the king can get married to Catherine of Aragon. At least it's prudent for my head staying attached to my body. But they didn't hide behind cowardice, calling it prudence. You know, Peter is clear. Right? The life and the witness of the martyrs is clear. John Fisher and Thomas More are clear. Our Lord is clear to be a Christian. Is just to, it's to swim upstream in this apostolic age. It's to move against the current. It's, you're going to feel opposition. And when you feel opposition, Peter, our older brother, is telling us, don't be surprised. It's just you're doing it right. Don't be surprised if and when... Not if, but when suffering shows up. And when it does, we call upon the help of the martyrs and the saints to give us courage to stay the course as they did. Amen.